0: From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt and this is Ask the Programmer. James, I'm glad we're back and we have a fun guest today. So uh, how are you? Just start with that.
1: Oh, I'm doing good and these podcasts are always better when we have a guest because I'm sure people don't want to hear me talking.
0: No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm sure. Not true. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, that voice is uh, Richard Mitchell and he's from Biamp. He's actually the Education Solutions Manager. Welcome, Richard.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, chat with you guys. I've been a, uh, a long-time listener, a first-time guest, so pretty excited about uh, joining
0: in the conversation. And we're glad you're here because honestly, this is what the podcast is about. You know, we want to make this something that uh, is hitting a target audience, and and the way we connected um, was basically uh, chatting at a trade show, which which is always very rewarding. And is uh, appreciate you reaching out and and um, and expressing your interest in the show, and uh, just I guess a good place for us to start maybe is um, why don't you just share. A little bit about what either drew you to the podcast, how you found out about it, and, and then we'll uh, take it from there.
2: Yeah, I, I want to say it actually just popped up in a random search as, you know, I was looking for AV uh, uh, podcast topics because I love to go walking in the early mornings and late afternoons. And uh, I, I listened to the first episode And honestly, I was probably like four or five shows in before I finally circled back around and got to my house. But, uh, you know, the topics are just very timely. And I liked that. uh, I think uh, a, a lot of people in the industry are kind of, somewhat introverted. uh, And it was great to have the perspectives that I have about the AV industry shared by other introverts like myself. Like, yeah, I can definitely turn it on for a trade show or for an event, but then need to go back and power down for a little while and recharge the batteries. So it was great to hear your perspectives. Um, James, I think you have a, a great perspective. Again, having a having that perspective from the higher education segment was really exciting to me because I think it's an underserved, very large uh, group within the AV industry. And it doesn't fit into a corporate box very well because no two universities are similar <laughs> most of the time. So it was great to hear you know, that the challenges and rewards of the higher education segment and oh. uh, yeah. Uh, And I've been in higher education for uh, 18, 19 years, and then finally made the transition over to the hardware manufacturer, which was just an awesome, awesome transition.
0: That's good. Uh, Go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say one of the reasons that it's kind of neat that we, we, uh, James and I got together was because of our differing perspectives. And and um, how um, we're coming at programming from uh, different backgrounds, different angles, and that's kind of what makes it, the conversation a little bit more balanced. But James, why don't you go from there? I, I
1: mean, just to add on to that, I mean, as even Richard mentioned, in higher ed, board the same way. Even though we're all close, like you know Joe Way and you know name drop re- retreat there, and uh, Tim from Rutgers and. All of us, we talk, but our schools are different. So we have different views, Uh, like Steve, who's from a small uh, religious college in Pennsylvania to now me at a a large R1 institution in Nevada. Like We all have our different views, different uh, perceptions, but
2: we all have the same goal. And I'd even, I would expand upon that. It's like also the funding structures of these universities are wildly different. Some have very defined budgets. Some, there are no budgets for AV and kind of navigating within the silos of some universities and then some are very flat with the way that they're able to kind of get their arms around their, their AV needs. So it's, it's fascinating from an AV perspective. It's also just fascinating from like a management kind of perspective as well. So it's just uh, you know, there, again, there are, I have never bumped into two universities that are doing it identically the same. So it's just, it, I feel like it keeps you young because it's always new and always fresh. So, Nope. I agree.
0: Which is very interesting. I, I think, from a, a programming standpoint to, uh, the way we, we look at doing a project is, is, you know, I'm sure very different because when you're, when you're in control of more of your variables and, in an education standpoint, you have, you can, you can make more choices and you can approach things a lot differently. Um, I, I come, very much from the outside not even uh, you know doing integration but more so just specializing in software and and we we get exposed to a whole gamut of either applications clients players all sorts of things so it's you know bringing i think one of the advantages is bringing that knowledge to the table but one of the disadvantages is you can't really make stuff as as uh, targeted as you could likely in in an education area
2: yeah, and I I think you know I, I was happy when uh, the position opened up at Biamp, and you know it seemed to work out really well. But I think they were specifically looking for somebody that was an insider that had a kind of that perspective in the challenges that are facing the uh, higher ed segment that are just vastly different than the enterprise segment. You know, the enterprise uh, you know equally challenging uh, in a number of ways, but you know, in an enterprise environment, if you get uh, you know six or seven people pretty much on board with a concept or a piece of hardware uh generally they can move very quickly and make big change where the universities you know there are some universities where the decision makers if you just if you just brought the decision makers together for av it may be two dozen groups <laughs> within a university and uh, each of them may have different different kind of opinions about how to approach uh, av projects a lot of them will have wildly different budgets. Uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, master program kind of level schools usually have more finance as compared to undergraduate, et cetera. So again, it's uh, just a fascinating and very fun segment to work in. And, it, and if you don't enjoy a very dynamic kind of uh, environment, you're you're probably not going to love higher ed.
0: So, so tell us a little bit. Um... I, I I know your background is working for higher ed institutions and, and doing AV design and and um how what, what uh, experience or how have you touched uh, control programming um and and um like, what what does the importance of understanding control program mean to you and your role?
2: Yeah, so um, you know I am one of the anomalies in AV. I uh, was never in a band and I do not play an instrument. So uh, I am like one of the three percenters out there that- uh, I'm here. (laughs) Me too, believe it or uh, not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, uh, So I actually started in higher ed with uh, kind of a marketing and communication background. Uh, I was in Washington DC at a large private school being a director of online marketing, managing websites, et cetera. And then I moved to North Carolina for a light blue, large state institution, and that was my first kind of dig into AV specifically. That was very much on the outside. Uh, At the time, it was kind of uh, an era where primarily you just, uh, you wrote checks to integrators. They would come and manage everything for you. And I had a couple of opportunities to kind of get my arms around AV in a very kind of uh, introductory way. Uh, And I I just fell in love with, you know, figuring it's like a puzzle that you have to figure out to make these things work and working with a good integrator, making sure that it is executed very well. And I just loved it so much that I wanted to do it full time. So I then transferred to a uh, North Carolina university that has dark blue. And uh, I was I literally started out as a classroom technician because I just love the industry so much. And it's very fulfilling and by the time I left the university, I was a senior AV design engineer designing a lot of uh, a vast majority of our spaces on, on our campus. And from a programming perspective, uh, I, I will admit, I am, do, do not ever let me program anything for you. I am, uh I, I am not, I I, no, just don't, just don't let that happen. But, you know, I went to Crestron's 101, 201, and then I figured out. I'm going to let leave this to people like James and yourself that can actually program these things. And I went to, uh, Xtron's, you know, entry level, and then their Python programming class. And that's where I was like, this is wonderful. This is not for me, but, uh, I took a lot of that knowledge of what these systems are capable of, and then synthesized them down to what we needed them to be able to do. So, while I may not have been programming it, it was great to have that knowledge so that when I was working with the programmers, I could say, I'm pretty sure it can do this thing that I'm trying to get it to to do. And I would say, you know, nine out of 10 times, we would collaboratively work on that and get something that really suited our specific use case. And so that was my programming experience. Again, uh, you know, full disclosure, don't let me program your systems. If you see me programming your systems, please uh haul me away it's not a good situation
0: I, I I can very much appreciate that and quite honestly I it's been so so many years that I've done programming hands-on that I'm in the same boat so <laughs> that that's very respectful but it but it's important I think to point out the um the 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 need to understand it yeah okay? even if you don't do it
2: And also it gave me an appreciation for what the programmers have to do and the knowledge that they have to have to execute on these projects. You know, sometimes it is as simple as just pulling a different room config, making a couple of modifications and uploading it. But other times it's very much not, especially when we start talking about active learning and, you know, uh, we want this to be a Zoom room, but sometimes not a Zoom room and we want it to be this and that you really have to have a lot of different disciplines to just appreciate what the programmers are doing. So.
0: it's Exactly what I was hoping you were going to say, (laughs) have, have James jump in because, you know, I think we touched on two parts of that there, you know, one is knowing what you can ask for and what it's capable of and, and making, and kind of holding the people that are working with you accountable. But the other side is understanding how, much it takes to do what you're asking for and how hard it is. So James, what, how does that kind of play into your role? Because you're you're becoming a little bit more on the supervisory side rather than on the hands-on side as well. Um, so first, I, I, I kind of want to see he, say
1: here is, uh, I think we are actually hitting a market that Steve and I didn't think we would hit. Um, now, listening to Richard and um, during Infocom, have a Will in. These are two members who are listeners who are not programmers, but they're finding value from our show. I mean, th- I never thought of that. I know Steve and I joined this to make a community for programmers, but I think this is pretty cool and this is showing value that we're providing. Um, now going to what you're saying, Steve, is yes, as I'm stepping into the manager role, having that knowledge of the background of the programming, I do know how long it takes. I do know what needs to be done. Um, And right now I don't have a programmer on my staff. I'm still working on developing my team. They're hitting the training as we are going. So it's great, but I can sit here and talk to our integrator and say, no, this is how long it's going to take when they might want to say, Oh, it's going to take five months. No, I know you can do this in two weeks or, they're gonna say, "Oh, we can do that in a day." I'd be like, "No, this is gonna take you six months to do because it's more entail." Like I, I have that knowledge; I I can almost smell out the BS that some people might be selling.
2: Yeah, the the one that always got me, especially again, I'm putting on my university hat a bit more, was when you know the integrator would charge a, a set fee for programming of a room, but we would have like five or a dozen of the identical room. And I was always like, well, I can, actually the first one should be a lot more than that, but the second and the third and the fifth should be maybe a little bit lower, but uh, yeah, I, I also appreciate, you know, uh, James you're in a situation where you're going to be evaluating the people that you have, because I have never bumped into two programmers that are exactly at the same level with their programming skills. And it is very much a journey where, you know, I, Some of the initial user interfaces that I made uh, at the university were just atrocious. And it took a while to kind of work toward a very clean, elegant user interface, even when I was just doing research and development projects, where, again, I think a lot of the programmers and the designers, they're, they're kind of on a journey. And the challenge in higher education is, you know, you may have an individual that, uh, is able to program incredibly well, because they've been working with you and learning about the, you know, the environment for five, six, seven years, training up over all those years, and then they leave to go somewhere else. And it can be a major blow to a university, because then they have to go and find an individual that will meet that new standard or new expectation of what can be done in these rooms. And universities a lot that I have worked with are not prepared for a two-fold salary increase with individuals when you know they they understand C sharp or they understand Python in, in a programming environment. They can it's very powerful, but it's also a little concerning if I were the IT director that uh, I I have allowed somebody to get uh to master their skill to a point where we have become very dependent upon it. And that was one of my you know, the configuration versus programmer uh, conversation always pops up at that point.
1: Oh, yeah. And I actually experienced that firsthand. Like, as we all know, I moved from a school in New Jersey to a school in Nevada. And when I was at the university in New Jersey, I was the in-house programmer, the only one. And I understand what Richard's talking about. Like, I've already, I was looking at that as a holistic view because I knew my goal was to get into management. I knew, okay, I can't be a programmer, only programmer if I want to get into management. So I was already looking at that holistically and trying to make it easier for other people to step in. And when I knew I was leaving, I had to, dump off my knowledge to people taking over and we we actually kind of laughed because uh as i was training these uh, new members of who already work for the it department who already have their own duties now this is just adding on to it we were kind of joking because as uh we were walking and i was showing them in spaces we bumped into a old boss of mine who i we, i kind of took as a mentor for a while and we were telling him everything that was going on and he kind of chuckle and go, well, you need three people to replace one person. And (laughs) even though these three people all had their special skills, but they weren't programmers um, in AV. They were learning, they were quick, and and as I was telling these guys, I was like, look, you're going to look at my code and probably go, he's an idiot, we should be doing a display. And that's what I wanted, like I did prior to the person I took over for. I looked at their code and go, he's an idiot, we're doing it (laughs) this way. I advanced, now they're advancing on mine.
2: The the cycle continues, right.
0: (laughs) It brings up an interesting point, too, about the fact, because we talked about programmers and associating them with code, but part of what we know, there's some role there that talks about how do you define the functionality? How do you define what you want the system to do? Can you also have a role where somebody is writing the spec or the requirements to the point that you anybody can just write the code, not, not necessarily be the only one who knows how the system should work and how to decipher your, your, your approach to the operation of a system versus the, the way the system is programmed. I think that the, sometimes we, we group those in together and, and they could be two separate roles you know, in, in my mind, but I don't know if in reality that's the case.
2: Yeah, well, I'm. Uh, <clears throat> I think my perspective has shifted a little bit as time has gone on because I was initially, uh, I wanted platforms that were infinitely flexible. I wanted platforms that, you know, I could uh, create line code for and kind of really dig in, connect to databases, and all these other things. Now I'm starting to, if if, you know, I were ever to re-enter higher education, I think I'd take a a long look at that because the challenge with infinitely flexible is that it can also become infinitely customizable to one person's kind of way of programming. So I I think IT managers that are kind of supervising these programmers have to also think about, you know, sometimes being inside of a little bit of a box with your programming environment may actually be beneficial because then it may not be something that can get out of hand to where you need a a computer programmer. I had a, a senior manager that was quick to say, you know, some of our web developers, when they enter, they come at a certain salary in certain expectation as to what you will be paying them. In, in general, AV people with arguably similar skills uh, are paid at a different rate. And he's like, you know, I can get I can get two AV people in here for the price of one programmer. So I think there's a lot of, and it, and you know kind of going back to a previous comment when you have very stringent budget constraints it can be really challenging to maintain uh those those staff people so it again it, it's like a a pandora's box that you may have opened up
1: uh i think that's a thing we see big in the ab industry i see it- talked about all time on av and am and stuff is how you can take you know even take like someone like steve or someone like me or richard and we same position and you take them and put them in a true it environment they're going to be making double to if not uh triple of what they're making same scale same person just looked at differently and that's what we need to try to improve not just as AV programmers who are even smaller sample side of the AV industry as a whole. Uh, we yeah, AV and as a whole, we need to look and improve the salary to match those IT people because we are IT. Come at me, I don't care.
2: You know I <laughs> how I feel. AV is IT. I, I am an AV is IT as well person. Um, honestly, you know, while tragic. You know, COVID was probably one of the best things that happened to the industry in general because a lot of universities I'm chatting with they are rebanding a lot of these positions because traditionally they just viewed them as you know cart pushers in their, you know the old days. Well, you know, Joe or Mary comes in, they put the card in the room and they make the AV go. Those days are long, long gone. And, you know, they've got to have an expectation of networking, a deeper understanding of networking, a deeper understanding of IT in general, the needs associated with building modern classrooms that tie into a lot of different things. The skill sets vastly different than it was even five or 10 years ago. And I'm seeing a lot of universities move really gracefully toward it. And then others still kind of resisting. Uh, Again, I can appreciate classrooms where, we primarily focus on lectures or, you know, we don't have a lot of technology in the spaces, but uh, a lot of universities, you know, from the top down to, you know, smaller community colleges are really embracing technology because they want a more flexible future for themselves regardless of where the students are or regardless of where the faculty is, you know, uh, at the university I was at, uh, some of the faculty would infrequently get COVID, you know, no shock there. and. The students could show up in the room the faculty was beamed in for that specific session, even if they were just in their office four or five yards away from where the classroom was. So it's just this very flexible uh, future I see for the higher education segment specific to AV. I,
1: I agree. I actually had that conversation with a faculty member um, right as we were opening back up. And I was showing the assistant in the room that he was using that, wasn't a traditional classroom but it was a room we made a classroom for space and we were chatting and i told him i was like look i i understand this is covid is bad we all know the negative about covid i go but now think about this I just go how many conferences do you go to that you have to cancel class now you don't and he's like i never thought of that that way i was like yeah you can jump in during a breaking your conference or record your session and then play it to your students in lms like we no longer have to worry about that snow day or class being canceled because of x y and z
2: it does break my heart a little bit that we may not have snow days anymore but uh (laughs) I, i will be i will be honest it's also you know i think when you introduce av into these classrooms i mean you don't really have to change your teaching pedagogy you can you know I think it's just an enhancement, especially when you start talking about, you know, students that may, English may be their second language, them being able to go back to a recording, re-listen to it a time or two to catch up some nuance that they weren't. And once you start articulating the need for it, it really is beneficial. Like, uh, the, again, the university I was working at, we had hybrid uh, before COVID hit where they were ready to go because we wanted to give flexibility to maybe MBA students or high-end, you know, weekend kind of uh, folks where they could come to half of the classes or a third of the classes or two thirds of the classes in person. And then the remainder of them, they could phone in. So you were able to get a different caliber of person that needed that additional flexibility, but still wanted the rigor of that environment. So again, it, it's, yeah, moving forward, I just see there being more and better AV integrated into these learning spaces. And uh, I, I will admit, when I told uh, the university I was moving uh, into the manufacturing segment, they were like, you're going to move into AV in 2021? It seems like a, you know, may not be a perfect time to do that. But, you know, luckily, the, you know, BIAMP has a great story to tell in that regard. So it, it it's been a wonderful transition. But Again, I'm lucky that I get to work in the segment that I just have an absolute passion for.
0: I think that's probably a good place for us to, to tie a bow on this episode, but great conversation, and I'd love to continue it. So we're going to have Richard back. Um, and and I think that there's some great topics that we can build off of here. Um, Richard, how, how can people get in touch with you, uh, learn more about Biamp?
2: Sure. Just send me an email, at Uh I am uh, a Email junkie, so that's the best way to get a hold of me if you want a very quick response.
0: Excellent, and uh, and to get get in touch with Biamp or anything you're doing there. Pardon me uh, to uh, to get in touch with Biamp or anything that you're anything special you want to talk about there.
2: Uh, you know, again, uh, we the company that I joined is already a different company uh, just in the last two hundred and seventy eight days that I've been there. Uh, Again, we're jumping into control and all these other things that I had not initially anticipated, but on day one of my job, uh, first day of my job, they introduced 40 new products. So we're just expanding so quickly. It's a great time to be there.
0: Wonderful. And uh, James, uh, how can people get in touch with you, learn what you're up to and uh, read or listen to some of the content you're putting out?
1: Oh, as always, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Sunday mornings with the A.B. in the A.M. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is A.B. underscore James King. I'm on LinkedIn, but not much. Uh, as you mentioned, I also do another podcast, uh, The A.B. Life, where I'm a crew member. Um, I also write for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine, the IT and A.B. column. And I am a member of HEPMA, so wherever HEPMA is, you'll probably find me as well.
0: Wonderful. and uh, For me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. Um, Some of the content I am working on um, is another control podcast called uh, State of Control on avnation.tv, as well as uh, some writings that I do for uh, AV Network, uh, my company blog at controlconcepts.net. And done a little bit with commercial integrator. So uh, always want to uh, be in touch there. And and as James said, uh, AM is a great place to find us on Sunday mornings. And um, and I am uh, fairly active on LinkedIn. So that's another place to connect as well. Uh, But please um, continue to uh, share us feedback and let us know you're listening. And uh, we want to have more people like Richard on the show and sharing perspectives and giving more uh, insight as to how we could help to provide content that's going to be targeted to this audience as well as uh, open our mind to some new ideas. So uh, please leave us a review or rating. You could find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as YouTube. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that's it for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.